Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. It's a great day to be in the service today. And I, my prayer is that today God would share something with you that would change just something of your walk with him, that there would be something shift today for you that wouldn't be just about today, but it would be something that carries on with you. And last week uh, we had the privilege of seeing the chaplain sent off into the schools and we had the chaplain standing here. And, and something Pastor Peter said that it just hasn't left me. He said, you smell and it hasn't left me. <laughs> he said, you smelling the thought hasn't, hasn't left me. And it takes a pretty good friend to tell you you smell. But he's saying from 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16, but thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved, those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? And for all of us, we need to be carrying that aroma, that smell of Jesus into every area that we walk. It's not just, it's not just for the chaplains. It's not just for the, the people in uh, what we call typical ministry areas. But actually, we're all called to minister. We're all called to be ministers of the good news that is Jesus. And so today, my heart is that there would be something just continually stir about us carrying the smell of Jesus into every area that we walk. Uh, back once upon a time, this isn't a fairy tale, once upon a time when I was a mechanic and there was this, well the vehicle had the strongest scent of perfume but wasn't actually the vehicle that caused that strong scent of perfume but we'll call it the vehicle. So the vehicle, the perfume was so strong that you would jump in it and you'd feel like you should have a headache. Like it was worse than walking into the makeup section in my like it was so bad. It was so strong. And if you had to take it for a test run, you'd be like, oh no, this is not good. Uh, so one day a, a lovely older lady walks into the workshop and she's like, What's that beautiful smell? And it was this. I won't give away the vehicle just for client mechanic privilege, but it was this vehicle sitting in the middle of the workshop. So over the oil and the grease. This lady could smell this perfume from this car. said, isn't that beautiful? Now, I'm not going to say who smelt more like Jesus, but perhaps my little bit of diesel splashed with a bit of petrol and grease just, it was too much of a contrast with the Christian Dior, but, you know, one of us smelt more like Jesus. I'm not game to go who smelt more like that. But for one, it drew them in, and for the other, it was like, oh, please don't make me drive that around the back. And so this smell, this scent, it is, it's true that it draws some in, but yet for some it can drive away. In 2 Corinthians 2 and 14, we've just read it. But thank God, he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along 
in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. And he does. He, he uses us to spread, you know, whether we are on the platform or whether we're on the pavement, whether we're at the cemetery or the sports ground, whether we are at home on the highway, whether we're holidaying in Oahu, wouldn't that be nice? Or whether we are working in our occupation. In every space we are, our smell should be that smell of Jesus to everywhere and everybody that we come across. And this is quite the responsibility, I know, but it's an impossibility without being filled by the Spirit. So as we're filled, we actually become this aroma of Jesus. And as I think about this in relation to the prophets, a lot of the prophets, like speaking to Israel or the Israelites, um, they smelled a bit like death at times because they were in such contrast to the way that Israel was living. And so they would come in and, and people would want to run. I, I don't blame the prophets, some of them, for wanting to run the other way. When God says, this is a message I want you to bring, they just try and run away. I get it, that would be so tough. But there are some of the minor prophets that the message is it's framed a little bit differently. And so one of these I want to look at today, and that's Haggai. And his message is more a bit of a changing course slightly compared to repent or every or something really disastrous is going to happen. Whereas Haggai is more, he, this is encouragement from God. It's time to change some things, but this is what God has in store. So read with me, Haggai 1, 1 to 5. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says to these people, say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house, my house, remains in ruins. So Haggai, he come on the scene. So, so the Jews have been exiled to Babylon. They've come back about 15 years roughly prior to Haggai. And so they've either returned or slowly returning, but they come back. All their houses are destroyed. The massive temple that Solomon built, that's been destroyed. And some guys had a bit of a crack at rebuilding it, but didn't get too far about 15 years prior. But God's saying um, through Haggai, you know, it's time to turn your attention to building my kingdom so they got and it's not that it's a bad thing that they were building their own houses they needed somebody somewhere to live but their whole focus and attention became about building their own kingdoms and not the kingdom and it's possible to get so occupied with our own things and our own stuff we actually we lose a little bit of our missional outlook we lose a bit of our missional take and so in Haggai 2 1 to 3 on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, and just bear with me, there's a few tricky names in here. Ask them, who, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? So talking about the temple that Solomon had built. How does it look to you now? Does it seem like nothing? And to gain a greater appreciation, so, so God is asking the people through Haggai, so who here saw that, that, um, that temple that was full of splendor, that it was grand, it was amazing, it was a work of art. They used the finest materials and the finest craftspeople. 
But yet, who saw that? And so it's a bit of a weird question in there, but if we look to Ezra 3, 12 to 13 for some context, uh, this is what I think is perhaps the saddest verse or verses in Ezra, in verse 12. But many of the older priests and Levites, this is when they were laying the foundation, but many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being loud, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. And not long after this, the temple stopped being rebuilt and the officials actually put a stop to it. But it's so sad that the elders had seen what was and the new thing, it didn't look as grand, it didn't look as mighty. And so they're weeping over the past, over the old, you know, the good old days. And it's so possible to be so caught up in the old days of the things because it looks a bit different now that we stop being missional, we stop reaching out because we become a bit disheartened about what it looks like now. But actually, I wonder if those elders, if those heads, if they had have put their mind more to what is God doing now. I wonder if we would have seen that temple built 15 years earlier. And I guess we'll never know. But it's so sad. And for us, as we look at this, like every part of the Bible re- relates to us personally. We've got to remember that. So, so for us, how does that even apply It's possible that we've invested in things in the past. Perhaps a country that we've invested in, it ended up like we didn't, like we hoped it would. Perhaps even officials put stop the money going there. So we become a bit timid in our giving to that missional cause or different missional causes because of our past experience. Perhaps we've tried to reach our family or friends before, but it didn't end so well. And so we think, oh, it could have been grand one day, but that's gone. So we stop reaching out and investing and being that total aroma of Jesus that he's calling us to be it's possible and it happens easily if, as we continue on in Haggai 2 4 to 5 but now be strong Zerubbabel declares the Lord be strong Joshua son of Josedak the high priest be strong all you people of the land declares the Lord and work for I am with you declares the Lord Almighty this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you do not fear and I love this, that, that God sees and acknowledges the hurt and the disappointment, but he gives us the strength and capacity for today. He gives us the ability to put that behind us and go, that's what happened then, but I'm walking in the strength that God has given me, which is enough to get through today. And let me tell you, the strength in our lives, it continues to increase as he opens more doors. But it's for us to go, you know what, what's behind, it's behind. But I'm not going to let the past experience and circumstance stop me living life on mission. And so God, he challenges a city on their devotion to him. He says, where's your priorities at? And they change and they say, right, God, you are our focus. They get stuck into rebuilding the temple. And I'm not saying it it became easy, but the favour of God was all all over it as they just sought God out. And so in Ezra 6.14, this is the end result. So the Jewish elders continued their work and they were greatly encouraged by the preaching of the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Ido. The temple was finally finished as had been commanded by the God of Israel and decreed by Cyrus, Darius and Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. The temple was completed on March 12 during the sixth year of King Darius's reign. And so the temple, it's rebuilt in five years. 
That's amazing. I mean, if you've had anything to do with building, think five years. It goes pretty quick. But they've rebuilt this temple in five years. And so God is glorified through that. And it would be naive to think that the aroma of Jerusalem didn't change when that whole place just said, God, we're putting you first. Imagine the people that would have drawn in to help out. Look at the the way that it got built and things restructured because they said, right, God, we're putting you first, and the rest, it lined up. And again, I didn't say it was easy, but it's obvious that the favour of God is all over it. And that's what God has for us when he calls us into things. Uh, looking at the aroma of Jerusalem, when Candace and I were in uh, New Zealand at one point, we got to go in a helicopter ride. Uh, I enjoyed that way more than Candace. It was good fun. Our pilot's name, he was Mango, and I'm sure he belonged like Outback Australia chasing wild brumbies. But lo and behold, he was flying us up over glaciers in New Zealand, and we made it out alive. Like, prayer works, prayers. <laughs> But we made that alive and so we're flying over this glacier and we're looking down and we can see a couple standing on the glacier. They'd been hiking for five days on the glacier and that would be so awesome. But they're five days and they look so schmick and shiny. They're just, they are all smiles. And so we find out we're going to pick them up and take them back. So we lower down and so they jump in. And so does the scent of two people that have been working very hard for five days with no running water to bathe yourselves on a glacier. It smelled. But I wonder, who do we need to jump in the chopper with so that they'd smell Jesus out of us? Who are we avoiding getting in that chopper with? What are the things that are standing between us and actually spreading full Jesus' good news to the world around us. And we're all in a chopper of some description, whether we like it or not. So who are those on your shoulders? Who are those close to you? When you walk in after that five days, what's the scent that they smell? What's the thing that they pick up? Maybe it's some diesel splashed with petrol splashed with grease. Or maybe it's a really nice perfume. But for us, that when our heart is right, when our motive is right, that we would be that scent of Jesus in every circumstance that we're in. And whether, and everything can be our mission field. It really can, whether we're at school or at work, where, else, where we spend our money, what we do with our time, where we invest. It's all this mission field. And God wants, Jesus, God wants us to just be the perfect aroma of Jesus in that situation. And it's just so important to note that it's not about looks. Like if, if Jesus chose, imagine if Jesus chose the disciples based on looks, status, wealth. It would be a pretty different group. Now, the church needs people from every circle, and the disciples were from all different circles too. But it's about the heart. And I want to read to us a little from from 1 Samuel, and actually I'd rather not just read to you, but I want you to come along with me. And it's it's a passage that we look at a bit, but it's where Samuel sets out to anoint a king. Something important about this, I think, for today is that we need to understand that God was so seemingly hung up about anointing the right king for Israel because he had the best interest of Israel right there in his heart, in his hand. He wanted Israel to prosper. He wanted Israel to flourish. He wanted them to know what it was like to walk closely with God. So God was so invested in seeing the right king anointed that he would make sure they were because He had the best interest of the people right there at the forefront of his mind. And for us, the reason that God would anoint us and provide opportunity for us to reach the world is because God's heart for the world is incredibly loving. 
The reason that God would want to use us to step into hard seasons and walk through hard situations is because he can see the end result and and God doesn't want our comfort to get in the way of people coming to smell the aroma of Jesus that would absolutely change their life. And so in 1 Samuel 16, and this is where Samuel sets out and he's looking to anoint a new king. And just to backtrack a little bit, while I say anoint, it is to anoint. It's not to appoint a new king because Saul's still alive. So it's just to set out and to anoint and say, in the future, this is who God has. Verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? I think God asked that too. Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord says to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height. I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And we can forgive Samuel for thinking this. God opened the doors. God led him there. And he sees Eliab and he goes, that's got to be the one. But God says, no, that's not the one. And perhaps God has opened doors for you. Perhaps God has led you into a place. And right now, right now you're going I'm here and I ride but what I thought God dragged me here for I look around it's not the reason what is going on can I tell you I believe that in the very near future God is going to drop into your spirit exactly why he has you where he has you you thought it's all your plans have gone wrong and everything's mucked up no actually God opened the door for you like Samuel and just because what looked obvious for a start to become actually not the answer I want to encourage you don't just back out because it doesn't look right or what you expected but actually appreciate God has led me here and he will reveal to me what I need to know and in verse 8 Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel Samuel again the Lord's not chosen this one either so then Jesse had another son pass by and Samuel says no the Lord's not chosen this one and then we'll go down to um, verse 12 so after he said I've got a younger son that is a shepherd in verse 12 so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with, with health and he had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. And then David returned to where he was. And so it's easy to have this mental picture of David gets anointed and then he's just straight into king. But it's not actually that straightforward. In fact, this happened before he took on Goliath. And so David had this long road ahead and it was full of um, trial after trial and, and obstacle after obstacle But yet God was leading him and preparing him for the call he'd placed on him, even though he'd already anointed him for that. It's possible to be anointed for a certain call, and yet we still find ourselves tending to the sheep in the wilderness. It is absolutely possible to have a vision of what God will do in the future, but we're still carting little cheese wheels to the commanders of the army, not even a part of the battle. It's possible to have somebody hunting you down for your life and the call of God hasn't left you. It is possible. 
to face challenge after challenge after challenge and to feel like you're back where you were before you were anointed or called, but the call and anointing of God hasn't actually left you. We can look at David and, and read through it and go, yeah, I can see what God's doing there. But how often in the everyday of our life do we end up in a circumstance and we fail to recognize the growth and recovery work that God is doing within each of us? So important that when we're in those circumstances and situations, we don't question God, we don't doubt the call or the anointing. But no, actually, God's called me to be the aroma of Jesus to this world, to show off his son to this whole planet. And while what's around me may not look anything too grand, I've got to understand God's doing something grand through my life as I glorify him because he's a grand God. And so we have David, that God equips him for reaching a nation and that is what he is doing for us. And I would, I would love to invite the team back up. And um, I've got a little bit longer to go, but I'd just love if the team would come back up and get ready to finish the service. And so we have to ask ourselves, like we go back to the chopper and it's like, what scent is it when I jump in that chopper? When we look at, maybe I need to put myself in a chopper with some people that have been avoiding for a while. Perhaps there's some uncertainty that you feel that you're letting cloud the boldness that God wants to give you. Like God wants us to live and give boldly, to be totally missional in everything we do. But perhaps there's some uncertainty that's crept in and it's limiting the amount that you can just trust God in that space. And so I'd say, who are you reaching? What's the scent when you jump in the chopper? And what is it in me that I need to change? What is it in you that needs to shift? If we look at our priorities, it's so easy. We get caught up building our panelled houses and we forget that actually God says, seek my kingdom first, pursue that first, and all the other needs and essentials, they'll be added to you. Don't worry about that. But we can get in the day to day and we forget that. But I want to encourage you, and if you look around and go, God's opened all these doors, but man, what on earth is he doing? I look around, it's not what he called me for. He gave me an opportunity. That's not what was promised. But look around because like God led Samuel to where he needed to be to anoint the king that would eventually become king. He's doing the same with you. He's anointed, he's called, he, he equips. Trust him in that. Don't take yourself out of the space that he wants you. And I want to finish with, uh, I'm going to go right back to the start in a second. But this is who God says we are. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. You are the children that God dearly loves, so follow his example. Lead a life of love just as Christ did. He loved us. He gave himself up for us. He was a sweet-smelling offering and sacrifice to God. And for us, we are with the kids that God dearly loves. But He loves us too much to leave us walking out the doors exactly like we came. And that's me included, by the way. But He loves us too much just to see us settle for just a, a little bit of a, a fragrant scent. Now, He wants it to be so overpowering that it's undeniable that when people get in the chopper, they know there's something of God that is on your life. And even if they don't know God, they go, there's something that just... It draws me in and I've got to know about that. Or perhaps there are people that you come across and they are so turned away because your life is in such contrast to theirs that you actually carry the smell of death into that situation. 
But would you trust God enough not to feel like you need to change yourself? But trust God enough to remain consistent and humble in your heart attitude right before Him. Trust Him enough that if people are driven away and they're people that He wants you to reach, that He'll also bring them back to you so that you would speak the life of Jesus into their life. It takes a lot to trust, doesn't it? Like being in a helicopter. At times you look up at the rotor going around and you're flying down the side of a glacier and you're like, man, I hope that those rotors catch some good air in a second because if they don't, like, I'm going to look like mangoes. Like, please. It's so important that we trust. And, you know, sometimes we feel like we're free-falling, but we forget that we're in the palm of God's hand. We forget that God's got everything. We forget that God lines up times and appointments and people and places. So important to remember. So I want you to, to go away with confidence, but also to go away with a question and go, what do I need to do? What do I need to change today that I would be more, more effective and effective or infectious in spreading your name amongst those that I rub my shoulders with? In 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16, right back to the start. But thank God, he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us, he uses you to spread the knowledge of Jesus everywhere. Like a sweet perfume, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved, those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we're a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume, and who is adequate for such a task as this? And we look at this smelling like death to somebody is pushing people away, but actually, if I find that I really smell like smoke, and I've got smoke blowing in my eyes, it actually forces me to find a better spot to stand. When I find that I'm close to a situation that could be the enemy, I realise that I'm standing on a ledge that's about to crumble. That realisation that I'm standing in a bad place actually causes me to, to find somewhere else that's safe. And if I don't know Jesus, Jesus is the only safe place to be found. So it has to force me to he who is stable for who, who saves our life. So we get worried about pushing people away, but actually... Our life, it should be a contrast to those that don't know Jesus yet. But don't be nervous, don't be worried when people walk away, but trust God in the process. So and right at the end, in verse 16, it says, Who is adequate for such a task as this? And Paul goes on to answer it really simply. He goes on and says, anybody that's saved and has a pure motive essentially who's adequate to be the sin of Jesus in the world it's you and I when we said yes to Jesus when we said yes to Jesus we actually accepted to live our life on mission with missional focus that God would be our everything that everything we do would flow out of that place we chose to spread that aroma that perfume of Jesus throughout the world so I want to encourage us today do what we need to, that we will continually rub shoulders with the people that God has lined up for us to and know that whether you feel like you're where you're meant to be or not, God works everything for His glory and for His good. So again, 
today? What, what is it that you need to take away from today? What is it that's going to set you up to be a stronger center of Jesus to the world around you? So I pray that there would be encouragement. I pray that you would be sincerely blessed this week as you just ponder over some of this. But I just want you to be encouraged. I would love to pray for us. As we go to the hard places and ask ourselves the tough questions of what does it look like for me to be a stronger scent of Jesus in my world? And God, we thank you so much that you have set us up to be your light and your life and your hope to this world. God, I pray that, that we would see so many people that come to find Jesus through through the way that he sacrificed, I pray that they would know that his, his love is great. God, I pray for those that are, that are sitting on the fence a little bit. I pray that there, there would just be a sense of, God, I can see you drawing me in and I feel like there's things in my life I've done that disqualifies me from knowing you. But actually, there's nothing that disqualifies me from knowing you because Jesus' sacrifice was enough to cover any sin. It was enough to cover anything that I have done that I will do. And God, I choose to live in that place of grace, that place of freedom, knowing that Jesus paid the price and I accept that. So God, I just pray that today if there are people that are just querying their, their life decisions and feeling like that disqualifies them, that there would be revelation right now that nothing is too great for you to deal with. No sin is too much to keep us from you. So God, we just thank you so much for your heart for this nation. We thank you so much for this, your heart for this world. And I pray that we would, we would operate with urgency, that our priority would be to spread the good news of Jesus everywhere that we go, that, that there would not be one person in our circle that questions that we are living for you. So God, I just thank you for every person in this room. And I pray that we would live boldly, that we would give boldly, that we would live our lives on mission for you.